It was too magnificent. I knew you wouldn't be able to hold yourself back from applauding. Welcome. I'm so glad that you can celebrate this sacred night with us here at Chapel Hill. I know this uh, three gentlemen who were particularly regaled festively. Uh, the wise men in their brocaded robes didn't look any more magnificent than you guys back there. So thank you for adorning this service and honoring the Lord in that way. We do really welcome you. If you're visiting for the first time, thank you for being here. If you never miss a Sunday, thank you for being here. It is a sacred night, and we are here to worship the Lord. You know, that first night, the angels said to the, uh, to the shepherds on that hill outside of Bethlehem, they said, we have good news for you. God is with us. Well, tonight, on this hill outside of Gig Harbor, I have some good news for you, too. God is with us here, too. He is ready to be met, and I hope that you have eyes to see and ears to hear this great God of ours tonight. We've been talking a lot about prayer this year at Chapel Hill. Uh, it is kind of like breathing for Christians. It's the way that we connect to a God who we believe to be real and who loves us and cares about us. Most of us imagine, though, that, that, that prayer is about talking to God. And certainly that's part of prayer. In fact, if you come back tomorrow, and I'm sure every one of you will... At 10 o'clock in the morning, we're all wearing our pajamas, seriously, so just come in your PJs and bring your your favorite toy. Uh, If you come back tomorrow, you're going to hear us talking about one of the most beautiful of Christmas prayers, Mary's Magnificat. So prayer is partly about talking to God, but but there's someone else in the Christmas story. Um, His prayers are not recorded. As a matter of fact, Nowhere in the Bible do we have an account of him even speaking a single word. Do you know who this, this quiet character in the Christmas story is? It's Joseph, yeah. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Joseph didn't speak. Joseph never is recorded as having prayed a prayer out loud. But one thing that Joseph did know how to do was listen. And he listened to God. That is also prayer. And his listening to God changed his life. And it changed our lives too. So I invite you tonight to have ears to listen. Listen to this wonderful story about the quiet man of Christmas. It comes from Matthew chapter 1. I would love to share this story with you now. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this was written to fulfill what the, prophet, what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now as you spoke to Joseph? And would we have the ears to hear from you as he had that day? In Jesus' name, amen. When you think about the Christmas story, it is easy to think about Joseph as kind of a a member of the supporting cast. Really, uh, kind of along with the shepherds and with the angels and with the wise guys and, and with mean old Herod. Joseph is kind of a, of a supporting player in the story. He never speaks a word. We have no record of him praying anything. He wasn't even the father of the child, for goodness sakes. The Holy Spirit took care of that. You know, if ever a woman could be said in all of the history, I don't need a man to have a baby, Mary was the girl who could say that. He had nothing to do with that. So all that Joseph ended up doing, in fact, it seems almost like he was superfluous. Kind of a bit player, a silent bit player, tagging along with Mary, holding on to the reins of the donkey, arranging visiting hours, uh, making travel plans to Egypt. He, he was just kind of along for the ride, or so it seems. You know, tonight, tonight marks my 30th Christmas Eve at Chapel Hill, and I have looked out over thousands of... Thank you. In those 30 years, I have looked out on this evening over thousands of faces of men who I think feel just the way Joseph felt. They, like him, they feel kind of, they're kind of felt like they're along for the ride. They want to be here for their families. They want to support. But when it comes to spiritual things, they feel like the silent partner in the relationship. It's mom who who talks about God. It's mom who's kind of spiritual. Mom who brings everyone to church and, and mom who does the praying. And, uh, and dad, like so many men, feels kind of superfluous, awkward, maybe even a little useless because he doesn't relate to God in the same way that his wife relates. Now, I'm not going to ask you men to raise your hand to agree with that, but I know I'm right. You can nod your head vigorously if you want to. I know I'm right about so many of you. And the story of Joseph, I think, is a great encouragement to those of us, and especially men, who wonder if there's a spiritual role to be played by the person who listens more than talks. And the answer from our story is absolutely, absolutely. So let's take a little closer look at it. We are told that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Betrothed was kind of like engagements on steroids. It was like marriage without sex, really, because you actually had a a marriage, a betrothal ceremony, and from that day forward, you were considered husband and wife. You heard that in the story. Uh, The the husband would set up a house, and and, and sometime later, the, the bride would come, and on their wedding day, she would come into his home and live, and they would consummate the marriage. But aside from the sleeping arrangements, betrothal was considered to be marriage. You understand? This is an important one to get. And, uh, and, and in fact, if you decided you went out of the betrothal, there was no just giving the ring back. You, had to act, you actually had to have a divorce. And if the, if the woman were to have an affair, she would be considered an adulteress, which was punishable in their culture by stoning to death. 
Does that set the context for us a little bit? So you can imagine then Joseph's dilemma. Mary, this girl, who was probably chosen for him by his parents when they were both children, who had just recently pledged her life to him, he suddenly discovers this girl of his, his love, is pregnant. And if Joseph knew anything, he knew that it wasn't him. He would have remembered that. Can you sense the turmoil that he must have been feeling? He had every right to feel outraged, to feel betrayed by his beloved, to demand justice. It was his. And yet he didn't. We get a measure of the man in a tiny little verse where it says, but Joseph, being a just man and not wanting to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Being a just man. As hurt as he was, Joseph loved Mary. He still loved her. And he didn't want to see her harmed. And so he said, I'm just going to put this ugly chapter behind me. I'm just going to move on. And he was still stewing over all of this when an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. That's how he talked to Joseph. Mary was face to face, but Joseph just in a dream. The angel appears to him in a dream with remarkable news. He says, Mary's telling you the truth. She, she has been faithful to you. It is, this child in her is a, a child from the Holy Spirit. And not only that, this child will be the savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah. And I want you to notice how wonderful Joseph responds to these incredible pieces of news from the angel. First of all, we read that he obeyed the Lord. The text says that when Joseph woke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. In other words, he obeyed the Lord. And and in this simple moment, you, you kind of skip over it, but in this simple statement, Joseph moves from being a bit player on the periphery to being right in the center of the salvation story that God had woven for thousands of years. You see, before this moment, Joseph was trying to do what most men try to do. They're trying to fix the problem, right? He's trying to figure out the problem, think through the issues. That's what it means, he says, as he considered these things. Isn't this typical of a man? He's trying to think through the problem, the issues, coming up with solutions. He's planning The voice of the culture gave him one piece of advice. The voice of the culture whispered, you ought to just have her executed. She deserves it. That'll make an example for the rest of the girls. The voice inside of him, his own inner voice, which was more merciful, said, no, just put her away quietly. But there was another voice that he listened to, not the voice of culture, not the voice of his inner self. It was the voice of God who spoke to him. And he brought a a very different kind of message. The voice of of the Lord said that he was prompted him to do something that the community would never consider and that his own common sense would seem to be crazy. It turns out that God's promptings, God's nudges were counter-cultural and counter-intuitive. They almost always are. By the way, the promptings of God are almost always countercultural and counterintuitive. God's promptings were this. And Joseph listened to what he had to say, and he obeyed him. He obeyed him. Simply that. You know, I was, I, I was thinking about this. I believe that there are probably hundreds of people here tonight who are feeling nudges in their own soul. They may not know that it's their soul or their spirit, but they're feeling nudges that they ought to be living differently than they are. That there's something that they could do to make more of their life than they are presently doing. And, and if you ask, there would be a list of things that ought to be different. Do you realize 
that it might very well be God who's whispering those things to you? That it might be God who is the one who is nudging you, who is offering encouragements to you. Encouragements that you might hear like this. Let's, let's break that habit. Or let's spend more time with the kids. Or let's show your wife how much you really love her. Or let's tell your husband how proud you are of him. Or let's forgive your father. Isn't it about time? Or let's get those kids in Sunday school. We all have resolutions. We all have things we're going to do. We're determined that we're going to make ourselves better. But the difference here, the difference here is that Joseph didn't just dream about it. When he woke, he did it. He was obedient. And when people are willing to listen to those quiet promptings of God and actually not just think about it, not make grand plans, but actually do it, God is able to do something remarkable with those quiet witnesses of obedience. In Joseph's case, there were two things that he did, and they were very simple verbs. First of all, he says, he took his wife. You see that? He took his wife. You need to realize that probably until this point, every instinct in Joseph was to do this with Mary. Right? Just push her away. Get out of my life. You've made me miserable. You've broken my heart. This is what he wanted to do. And yet in this moment when he believed God, suddenly it went from this to this. And he took her. He pulled himself to her. He said, whatever this life holds for you, I am with you in it. And notice that this also meant that he took upon her himself her shame right? Her humiliation. He absorbed that to himself as well. In that moment of decision, when it says that he took his wife, Joseph, Joseph was saying to Mary, I will love you. I will protect you. I will walk with you. Whatever scorn society might heap upon you, I will, I will take it upon myself. Whatever life may bring, I will be your faithful companion. He took his wife. Isn't that awesome? And the other thing that it says he did is he named his son. He took his wife and he named his son. The text says, she will bear a son, but you shall call his name Jesus. Isn't that interesting? She'll have the baby. You're going to name him. Uh, naming was a big deal in the Bible. It, they didn't just name people with names that they thought sounded good or that had the same letter that started all of the siblings when they named people in the, in the Bible, it, it meant something. And the angel told Joseph, you're going to name your boy Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. God will save. There's something very powerful about this. The privilege that Joseph had been invited into. He's not a bit player anymore, is he? He was pronouncing destiny over his child. He was pronouncing destiny over his child when he named his son. You know, there is something very powerful for a child to hear a father or a father figure that pronounces destiny and blessing over them. The father that says to his daughter, you know what? God is going to do amazing things through you. Who says to his son, the world is going to be better because of the kind of man you are. Joseph, when he named his son, he pronounced the destiny upon this adopted child of his. He did something else, though, too. When he took this 
gave him his name, what he was doing was taking him as his own. He was legitimizing him, whom the world called bastard. No, he said, no, no, this is my beloved son. He took the shame that Jesus would have borne again upon himself in the same way that he had taken Mary's shame and humiliation upon himself. Whatever humiliating thing that society was going to say about this woman or this child, Joseph would stand in front of it and he would bear that for them. He took them. He gave them his name. He put his own reputation at risk. He received the shame so that his wife and his boy might be spared it. I've read the story hundreds of times. Maybe thousands of times. I was struck by the fact that I had never seen the irony in this passage until this this week. Here's the irony. 33 years later from the moment that this story is told, this boy, whom Joseph had taken as his own, whose shame Joseph received when he adopted him into his family, that boy became a man who gave his life on a cross so that he might take the shame of Joseph and his sin upon himself. That he might take the shame of Mary and her sin upon himself. That he might take the shame and the sin of the whole world upon himself. That boy, Joseph's adopted son, would take upon himself our shame so that we might be adopted into his family. And Joseph got to be a part of that story. Hardly superfluous. God invited him to play in the greatest love story ever told. The love of a God for his broken world. And it started because Joseph listened to God and obeyed what he heard. So the punchline obviously would be this. Are you listening to God? How is he prompting you? What is God inviting you to do to be a part of his story? Maybe you are here and describe, just like I described, maybe you feel superfluous. Maybe you feel like a, a, a spiritually insignificant. You might be surprised what happens when you begin to listen to the promptings of God and obey them. I have a new friend. His name is Adam. He is a Jewish man who is worshiping here. He started worshiping here because he married a Christian girl and they had a child and they wanted to raise their child in the church. And so Adam asked if we could have coffee a couple of weeks ago, and I said, sure. And so we got together, and he told me the story. He was out with his two-year-old daughter, and they saw a nativity scene, and she pointed at the manger, this little girl who could barely talk, apparently. She pointed at the manger and said, Jesus. And Adam was greatly stirred by this, and he wanted to talk to me about this, about what was going on, because... Here is this Jewish man, he was trained in Hebrew school with a two-year-old daughter who seems to know and love Jesus, and he didn't, didn't know what to do with this. I told him, you know, we Gentiles didn't come up with the idea of a Jewish Messiah. This was your idea. We just believed you. And the question, Adam, is whether you are going to believe that Jesus really is your Messiah too and whether you're going to follow him. And the only way you do that is to read his story. So Adam bought a Bible 
And he started reading one chapter of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every day. He started, of course, with Matthew 1, the text that I'm reading today. And he got to the story about Joseph, and he was so excited, he emailed me this question. He said, I wonder, was Joseph the first disciple of Jesus? Wasn't he the first one to believe and follow him? (laughs) I got to talk to Jewish guys more often. That... (laughs) It was a great question. And I'll tell you what my question, of course, is, will Adam become the next disciple of Jesus? Will he believe and follow Jesus? I bet he will. I bet he will. But the point is that he reached that point of discovery because he was willing to listen to the quiet prompting of God, a prompting that started when his two-year-old pointed with wonder to a cradle and said, Jesus. Many of you are here tonight to watch as your children and your grandchildren point with wonder and say Jesus. You would probably think that you're here mostly for them. But what if God has a message for you? It's not just your kids. In what quiet way might God be prompting you just as he prompted quiet Joseph? I mean, after all, he did prompt you to be here, right? We don't think you're here by accident. What if he were to prompt you to come back tomorrow or come back next Sunday or any Sunday thereafter? We meet with terrific regularity on Sundays. (laughs) What if God is prompting you to begin to speak destiny into the lives of your family? What if God is prompting you to, to have mercy upon someone in your life who is struggling with shame? Or what if you are that person who is struggling with shame, and you need desperately to believe the quiet promptings of Jesus that says, I love you, and I forgive you. Whether you expected it or not, God is whispering to you tonight. Joseph, quiet Joseph, he woke up, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I pray that you will do the same. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for this attentive group. Thank you for the eyes that were locked on me that said, I'm paying attention to this. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the very thing we have read about. That your Spirit would nudge and prompt and urge people to believe that they're here not by their own design, but by divine appointment. And God, I pray that whatever it is that they need to hear from you, they will have the courage to believe it is you and to begin to follow you because of the work of your son, Jesus, who took away our shame so that we might be adopted into your family. How we love you, how we praise you, how we bless your holy name. Amen.